The Living Church of God presents Last Great Day Message by Mr. Roderick C. Meredith. And greetings, brethren, all around the world. We're very grateful for this festival. I'm sure you're all having a wonderful festival. God has certainly been with us in this festival, wherever I've been, and He's been with us in this work, as you know. He's been blessing us. He's giving us more prospective members than ever before. Our ministers are out visiting them. He's given us a greater response to the television program, and we're adding new television stations, and He's given us a greater impact on the world as a whole, and we're very grateful for what Jesus Christ is doing in His church and in His work, because this is His work, and I know we all realize that, or we would not be here. So we are grateful for what Christ is doing, and our God is with us in a hundred ways, and when we think of our personal lives and all the ways God intervenes, no doubt a thousand ways, God watches over us and blesses us. Turn with me, brethren, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. God says here, here, let your conduct be without covetousness. Yes, we can easily be overcome by the desire for physical things. That's so easy in this world to be distracted and to be double-minded. And many of us are double-minded from time to time and have our minds on our business, on our family, on the activities of this world far more than we do on the work of God. And I think we need to realize that and far more than the very purpose of God and why we're here. So he says, let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Brethren, if we are walking with God, not perfectly, but with our whole hearts, keeping his commandments, letting Christ live his life within us, God will be with us. He will never forsake us. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. We know that, and we must believe that in the trying days and years that are just ahead, because we've now descended into the most chaotic, traumatic times in human history, when all flesh would be blasted off this planet except for God's intervention. So we need to have our mind on Jesus Christ and know what God is doing. We must come out of this world Brethren, as we leave this festival, we're going back to the world and to our daily lives, and yet we've got to be apart from this world. We and the living church of God have got to be truly different. God is preparing us for tremendous responsibilities to do this work and to rule the world and perhaps later the whole universe in God's kingdom. We must be different and realize that even as we go back to the world, let's think about that and not be overcome by our normal routine not be overcome by watching too much television, by getting involved in the Internet and all the images of vanity and what I want and buying things and doing things and sex and violence and just a watered-down way of life that these images project to us coming over television in the motion pictures and, of course, in the Internet and so many different ways through the media of this world, Satan's broadcasting system, and that's certainly part of it. Brethren, we realize that we're at the end of an age and we've got to be different. We have really come to the end this time and I think a lot of you know that. Enormous events have been occurring even in the last few weeks as I speak. As you know, there's been a last-minute rescue and of course this has happened a few weeks before the feast, a last-minute rescue of these planes that were bound for the United States from Britain that could have blown up and destroyed the lives of hundreds of different individuals. A terrible thing, thwarted at the last minute in God's mercy. And yet, when you think about what Iran is planning, what the Hezbollah is planning, what Hamas is planning, what the Al-Qaeda terrorist people are planning and beginning to do all over the world, it is indeed a frightening world. And only God and God's protection can save you and me from these things that are coming in world events and in earthquakes and, of course, terrible drought, famine, the horrifying disease epidemics that are predicted. Only God can be with us. And we need to realize that as we go back to our homes and understand we are in a powerful, growing, horrifying religious war between Islam and the West and particularly, as you know, 
the United States and Britain and Israel because these Islamic terrorists hate us. We have been the ones backing Israel and they hate Israel and they hate us and they are jealous of us and they want to destroy us and they will not quit. So all of this is going to begin to bring about, as we know, a union of the Arab nations, probably led by Egypt or Saudi Arabia. It's not going to be Iran, but Iran's going to be over here causing trouble. Maybe they'll cause so much trouble that they'll be shut down to a degree before this final union gets together because the Iranians are not Sunnis. They are Shiite Muslims, the minority, and the king of the south will no doubt be led by a Sunni Muslim out of Egypt or Saudi Arabia, somewhere that's south of Jerusalem. Iran is northeast of Jerusalem. It's not even the king of the south. It would be called the king of the northeast. So let's understand that. But enormous events are building up, and we in God's true church need to be ready. This religious war is growing in intensity. It's going to affect the lives of every one of you all over the earth. And I think you understand, but let's be sure we do understand. We are going to have absolute chaos throughout the earth and America, and many of the Western nations are entering, entering a period of economic decline. The American, you know, Americans are overstretched. They've been spending too much on their credit cards and taking too much out of home equity loans. And they're almost stretched to the limit. And the American dollar is beginning to go down and down. And God is going to humble us in many, many ways before this is all over. And you and I have to recognize that our only true protection is to be walking with God. And we must do that increasingly as we go back home. Turn to Leviticus 26, if you would, brethren. I've often used this in recent date. And our beloved evangelist, Mr. John O'Gwen, certainly put us on. We've been talking about this, and Mr. Armstrong talked about this over and over. But a specific approach to that was given by Mr. O'Gwen. And I honor him in giving it that way because he put us onto this aspect of it. In Leviticus 26, this fundamental prophecy where he tells the Israelites in verse 3, if you walk in my statutes and his statutes, including the holy days and tithing and so on, ought to be kept, and certainly in spirit, in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in due season, he says, and all these blessings. But, verse 14, if you do not obey me, and do not observe all these commandments, all ten of God's commandments, and if you despise my statutes. And even members of the Supreme Court and the judiciary and many in our Congress despise God's statutes by their actions and by their words. They could care less about what the God of the Bible says as they begin to push this whole thing of man marrying man and woman marrying woman and all the other things, killing literally millions of young babies through abortion, murdering people, all the other things they're permitting and even pushing in this whole liberal movement that's taking over the Western world. And God is punishing the Western world because of that. And most of them can't see it. But if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I will do this to you. I will even appoint over you terror. And we know that can mean the terrorist acts that have begun to occur, starting with 9-11. It's getting worse and worse. I will appoint over you terrorism, wasting disease and fever. These things are coming. One of the terrible diseases causing this very type of reaction, wasting, is AIDS, of course. It's literally taking the lives of tens of millions of people in Africa and Asia and certainly millions even here in the United States over a period of time in Britain, Canada, Australia, and elsewhere. He said, you'll sow your seed in vain, your enemies shall eat it. Those who hate you shall reign over you. That's beginning to happen in various parts of the world. And you shall flee when no one pursues you. After all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times or sevenfold, seven times more for your sins. We are nationally sinners, breaking God's laws, despising God's statutes in the United States and Canada and Britain. I will break the pride of your power. The British Empire is no more. The greatness of the United States is slipping off rapidly, going down rapidly. I'll break that, he says, and he's beginning to do it right now as I speak. And I will make your heaven as iron and your earth as bronze. He's going to cause terrible drought as Amos describes it, 
lack of rain in one place and too much rain or flooding in another place, this is going to begin to happen, and your land shall not yield its produce. And then he describes in verse 21, if you still don't listen, I'll send plagues, the terrible disease epidemics. These things are beginning to occur, my brethren, as you know, with increasing power, with increasing effect. And we are living in the last age, and we have to really understand that as we go back to our homes. We have got to be different. All these people around us are cynical. Television and their producers, young chain-smoking, pot-taking, young smart alecks, producing all this rotten stuff about sex and violence and a whole watered-down way of life, thinking about me, the self, have fun, do what you do, do whatever you want to do. This type of approach is permeating our society. It's affecting many of you, many of us. We want to take care of self. We want to have enough. We want to keep up with the Joneses. As we come to the end of this age, we can't do that to the same extent. We've got to go back to this world charged up as the people of God and have an impact on this world. And if we do, my brethren, we will have a reward. We will have a blessing that will go on forever and ever. You know that. God is working with us. He's called us out of this world. Let's appreciate that calling and be grateful that we can be as the living church of God, drawn close to God and really do His work and really prepare to be the kings and priests that are going to be active in a very few years on this earth under the direction of the living Jesus Christ. Turn with me now to the New Testament. And at this point, I want to turn, brethren, to the book of uh, Philippians. Let's turn to Philippians now, if you would, chapter 1. Again, one of my favorite sections I've read you before, and I'll keep on reading. This is an inspiring section. Philippians chapter 1, Paul is talking about various preachers going around preaching Christ, some in vanity. What then, he says in verse 18, not only in, not in, that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my salvation through your prayer and through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We need to be praying fervently for one another. All you brethren need to be praying fervently for the fine ministry that God is giving us all around the world. And we're very grateful for these men and their wives who've been willing to sacrifice. And many of them are sacrificing more than you realize. As I've said, Mr. Davy Crockett gave up a job, perhaps earning three or four times as much as we pay him, and came here to serve. Mr. Jeff Fall, Dr. Fall, gave up his dental practice and came here to serve, taking a great cut in salary as a minister of God. Many of our ministers, even regional pastors, I don't want to embarrass them, but I've been in some of their homes. They live in very plain homes in very plain neighborhoods that many of you young men in your 30s and 40s already have you know, who don't even have a degree, and they have college degrees. They've had years of experience, and yet they're living not any better than you at all. Yes, they have a lease car, fleet car, but some of you do in your work. And we're helping them just enough to get by to have enough of the money to have some suits to wear, as they're supposed to wear as the ministry, and have a fleet car. But many of them have no savings at all, virtually. They're on the verge of bankruptcy, some of them. They have been willing to give and serve in this work. And I deeply appreciate that. All of us need to realize we're in a work of service and sacrifice. And God Almighty has called us to that. So let's listen carefully to what Paul says. We have the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We have God's Holy Spirit. We have an understanding of why we're here, the purpose of life, what God has planned for us, and how to get there, to be His full sons, to be kings and priests, and a whole new world that's going to be set up soon on this earth. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, Paul writes, but that with all boldness as always, so also now, Christ will be magnified uh, in my body, whether by life or by death. Think about that, brethren. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, gave His life for us laid down his life as a living sacrifice and then gave it as a dead sacrifice. And Paul said, I want to be the same way. I want to magnify Christ in my body, whether by life, by giving my life to God and to Christ actively, letting Christ live in me, or by death, 
as a martyr of Jesus Christ and the work of Almighty God. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you feel that way? Do I feel that way? I think all of us feel that way to a degree, brethren, from time to time, but it doesn't dominate our thinking all day long the way it should. I get my mind on some things on television or reading and get distracted, and I'm sure many of you do. Some of you are a lot younger than me, and you haven't suffered and gone through things as much as I have, and these things can distract you. You're here for a great purpose, the great God of creation that causes the sun to shine and the moon and gives you life and breath. That God has called you out of this world. Every one of you. He loves you. He's made you in His image. He wants you to be His full Son. But in the meantime, He wants you to, to find out. And He's going to test you and test you to find out. Will you truly give your life to Him now because you want to be in His kingdom so bad you can taste it? You're willing to seek first the kingdom of God above all this other stuff that begins to take our minds, to take our attention, to take our energy. We've got to realize that and give our time, our talents, our energies, our physical resources to God and to know that they belong to God. In Him we live and move and have our being. Paul said, to me, to live is Christ. The whole purpose of my life is Christ, Christ living in me, Christ's purpose. And to die is gain. If Paul had his life cut short, that would have simply been gain. He, he thought at times, I know, he said, I'm tired of this, no doubt. Tired of being beaten up. Tired of being whipped with whips. Tired of being floating out in the ocean, not knowing whether he'd live. Tired of being thrown into lion's dens and things like that. Tired of being stoned with rocks crushing his skull and left for dead there at Lystra. And then the disciples came around and he got up and went right on, right back through those cities he had been preaching, saying that by much tribulation... We enter the kingdom of God. Wow. What an attitude. We have got to have that attitude. You and I have to have that attitude as we go back away from this festival. The people around us back home, they won't have that attitude. You know that. Don't be overcome by the devil and his society and his broadcasting system and all the people around you who are unwittingly affected by that. God has not called them yet. It's not their fault. Don't be mad at them. They just don't understand. You do understand. I do understand. We're held to a higher standard. Let us really understand that. So we've got to really grow this year and give our lives to God more fully than we have ever done, brethren. And I hope that you can do that. I hope that I can do that. And I mean it. Let's turn back to Daniel, the 11th chapter, if you would. Daniel chapter 11. And I'm going to begin reading here. In verse 31, where we pick up the flow, as we usually do, and, of course, at this point, Mr. Armstrong taught and many scholars recognize that this now is getting into a typical thing that reflects clear on to the time of the end. Daniel 11, verse 31, And forces shall be mustered by him, this coming dictator at the time of the end, typified about 167 B.C. by Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus the fourth, the Syrian king, who was very brutal and came into the Jewish uh, Holy of Holies and put in there this awful pagan altar and offered swine flesh, apparently, and persecuted the Jews. Forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall destroy or defile the sanctuary fortress. He certainly defiled it. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Christ speaks of that happening again, as you know, in Matthew 24, 15. A final takeover of Jerusalem, a final takeover of the Temple Mount, some kind of altar, some kind of temple there built on that, and Jews sacrificing, and a terrible pagan king coming in and causing this kind of thing, defiling this sort, this uh, sanctuary, an abomination of desolation just before the final tribulation, and Christ's return to this earth, a tremendous sign to watch. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God, and God help you to know your God, to study this book, 
to pray on your knees to God saying, Father, teach me, guide me, help me, fashion me, mold me, help me to become like you. Help me to reflect Jesus Christ. Help me to begin to think along the lines more and more of your law, your statutes, your ways, and to learn to make the kind of judgments in my life and in dealing with others. And as I teach others, or have the opportunity as a leader to work with others, to learn and to teach and to practice your government, your kind of government in every way. So I may be there in your kingdom and be one of the kings and priests and fulfill the purpose which you've made me. Let's pray that way, brethren. Let's really pray that way and study that way. So we've got to learn these things. Those among the people who understand shall be instruct many, and yet for many days they shall fall by the sword and flame and captivity and plundering. Among God's people are going to be a lot of martyrs in the end time. Now, when they fall, there shall be help with a little help, but many will join them by intrigue. Some will come into this church at the end by flattery and intrigue just to save their hides or maybe even to betray some of us. What do we do? Do we hate them? No, we love them. Our faith is in God. You must not trust in men. You will always be disappointed in men. Your faith and trust must be in God who takes care of you. And you cannot trust in your money. You cannot trust in your job. You cannot trust in your doctor down the street. You have got to trust in God Almighty, your creator, your protector, your healer, your deliverer. And put your total trust in that God in every phase and facet of your life and walk and live by faith. So we've got to recognize these things will occur and some of those of understanding shall fall. We've already been through that. Thousands have fallen away from the church, as we know, and at the very end, more are going to do the same thing when these terrible things begin to occur. They'll say, well, Mr. Emeritus said something, but I didn't remember, didn't realize it was going to be this bad. Well, yes, it is going to be very bad. And only those who are watching and praying will be protected and taken to a place of safety. And even among them, no doubt, some of us leaders who are out in front may be killed or thrown in jail or beaten up. In fact, I'm surprised that hasn't already happened. But that will happen. And don't be astonished or say, well, I didn't know one of our leaders would be thrown in jail. What if I'm thrown in jail? Will you give up and quit? If I'm thrown in jail for some kind of horrible thing that can be proved, that's different. But frankly, at age 76 and after about 54 years in the ministry, I don't think that's going to happen. And I know you know that too. We'll be thrown in jail for doing God's work. That's why, that's why, and God will allow some of us to have suffering come on us. Let's not be astonished, brethren. Let's be ready. So some will fall and uh, God will certainly uh, help them at that time, and He'll purge them and make them white until the time of the end. This is the final fulfillment of this in the next several years of your life and my life if we live to the very end, and that end will no doubt be within the next 7 to 15 years. We're not setting an exact date. It might be 20 or more. But you need to realize these things are moving my brethren, big things in world events that we've always preached about. I've preached about for nearly 54 years now. In fact, over 54 years by the time you hear this sermon. The time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. So these things are occurring, and we need to be ready as Christ prepares to descend from heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords and set up a kingdom. We're living into the most traumatic time, the most terrifying time in human history, and yet the most exciting time. He said, look up and lift up your heads when you see these things begin to occur, for your redemption is near, very near, and we can be grateful that it's just about there. The dawn is just about to dawn, and the sun will ju is just about to come over the horizon as it's darkest just before the dawn now. And we know that, and we can have that hope and that understanding. So let's have that attitude in spite of persecutions and trials and do God's work and fulfill God's purpose in our own lives with zeal. And brethren, we must really prepare. We must really prepare not only to do the work with much greater power, and if we walk with God, God himself will give us that power, but you and I must really prepare to be the kings and priests. We're called now not just to have a nice social club. We're called now 
to get out God's message to the whole world with great power, but also to be the key individuals in a coming new world order, to be the kings and the the priests that are going to teach God's government all over this world. You know how it's stated over and over in Revelation 2, verse 26. He that overcomes shall rule with me. Revelation 3, 21. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. Christ is coming back and he has made us kings and priests. Kings to rule, priests to teach. And we shall rule on the earth. It says in Revelation 5, verse 10. And Revelation 20 and verse 6, the same thing. The priests, the, the saints shall be priests of God for a thousand years on this earth, not up in heaven. Over and over it says that. And one of the places in the New Testament that I think is good to turn to, because some people get to thinking all this is in the book of Revelation. No, it's not. It's all through. Jesus talked about it in Luke 19, you know, in the parable of the talents and the parable of the pounds, how some would rule over five cities and some would rule over ten cities. Over and over Christ talks about it. But notice a very clear explanation. First Corinthians, again, a basic scripture, but let's get it. This is the time to think about this just before you go back home. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? How dare you go down the, world, to the street and to some worldly judge? How dare you think about, you know, somehow they're better because you don't know their faults. Yes, you know the faults of the local elders around you, some of you. You know the faults of the minister. You know they're human. But you don't know the fault of the maybe whiskey-drinking, cussing, even drug-taking judge that may be down the street. You don't know his total disorientation where he's totally against the whole way of God and doesn't have an understanding of God's purpose in these things at all. And would you go down the street to him or trust outsiders more? Or have you learned to think about and to practice the government of God in your own life and in your local church? to learn to look to your ministers. We're the only church, frankly, on earth that fully does that in a positive way, not hurting and smashing people, but building people, teaching people, strengthening people to prepare them to be kings and priests and doing it God's way, having hierarchical government under Jesus Christ and trusting Christ to guide the leadership, trusting Christ to guide the church. We're here This is the work of God. Think about it. And you're going to have a much greater reward if you understand that. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? That's our calling. That's why we're here now, that we are preparing to judge the world. And if the world will be judged by you, you and you and you all through the church of God today, not way off in the sweet by and by a thousand or a million years from now, but perhaps in another 15 or 25 years, some of you will be spirit beings, hopefully the vast majority of you adults, sitting out there now off in Australia and down in South Africa and in Britain and in France and in here in the United States and the various festival sites. All of you can be kings and priests. And you'll be ruling under Jesus Christ. Yes, you'll have his direction and guidance. But he wants you to learn that approach, that way of life already and have it fully in your mind and heart by practice and practice and practice so you are able to exercise God's government as the opportunity arises under his direction in tomorrow's world after the resurrection, which is coming sooner than many people think. Verse 3, do you not know that we shall judge angels? We're given tremendous responsibility in a very few years. How much more things that pertain to this life? We've got to learn to judge and decide things in this life. And God's true church is guided by Jesus Christ in making these decisions. If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, why, as it ought to be, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? Why do you go outside? I say this to your shame. Is it though that there's not a wise man, a leader in the church who's able to do that, and a leader in your local congregation, your pastor, that's able to make these decisions, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? What's wrong, Paul says? How come you can't look to the leadership in the church? How come you can't trust Christ to guide things better than the people in the world where the world's about to blow itself up. 
The people in the world have these big United Nations gathering and they're trying to reconcile and they're trying to make peace. Have they ever made peace that lasts? Of course not. The United Nations is not united at all. And they talk and they talk and the Middle East blows up. And another fuse later it blows up again. And another fuse later it blows up again worse than ever. Their efforts are not going to solve that problem in the Middle East or Southeast Asia or anywhere else. Never have and never will. Only the government of God, which you and I are learning, will solve that problem. Let's get real. These are the things Christ is preparing. These are the things Christ is working with you on. These are the things Christ wants us in the living church of God to really understand and to practice and to reflect and our local church government and our local and our larger church all around the world and the way we do the work and the way we do things in every way that we can be there. We will have his mind, his approach to these things in preparing to be kings and priests in a very few years. Brethren, we have a leadership course that Dr. Douglas Winnell and his son, Dr. Scott Winnell, with a heavy input, of course, from many ministers, including Mr. Lambert Greer and Mr. Millich and others have given, and I've certainly gone over it a couple times, a wonderful leadership course has been put together by church administration, teaching all of you the entire aspect of how to be leaders. It's not perfect, but it's a very fine course. I pray that all of you will get involved with that course. All of you who have zeal and want to serve and to give more, remember, it's not just for the ministry. It's for the leading members of the church, men and women and young people. Get involved in that course. I ask you to do that. I challenge you to do that. Take that course. Go to those meetings. Study those lessons. Think, I can become a leader. And you can. You're preparing literally to be a king or a priest, or a king and a priest as it is. We will teach and we will rule like Moses did. Both aspects combined as the kings and priests and God's coming government. Take part in that course. Above and beyond that, right now we're in preparation of a ministerial training program where we're going to train the leading young men that are coming along, not women in this case. And I know you women understand that, but I hope you'll pray about it and ask God to guide it to provide us more ministers. We need more ministers. We're growing. This ministerial training program is coming along. And again, I ask all of you whose hearts are truly in the work, if you have that kind of attitude, that kind of capacity, that you sense you're a reasonably good speaker, you're energetic, you know the Bible, you want to serve, talk to your minister about it. And the minister can guide you as to whether you should be in that program, the ministerial training program. And you don't have to necessarily finish the whole two-year leadership training program. Some will be ready to go on the other program much sooner. But we're going to get that going soon as well. Get involved with that. All of you, brethren, old and young, male and female, everybody, let's all get involved in the wonderful Bible study course, the Tomorrow's World Bible Study Course. Many of our brethren have still not taken that course. And those of you who have, you know this by now, if you have, you would be greatly benefited by going back over that course, studying those lessons that were lovingly put together by Mr. O'Gwen with the input of others as well, helping and so on. But go over that course. That is very deep. That is very thorough. That is very profound. Those three tools are out there to help you to become a king and a priest. And I hope all of us can learn to get involved. Get involved. Get right in the center of Christ's church. Get right in the center of Christ's work, where Christ is working. And get ready to be a king or a priest, a real leader in tomorrow's world. It's going to pay off for all eternity. And I think most of you realize that. We must realize that if we go all out, God condemns the Laodiceans. He doesn't condemn them for false doctrine. He doesn't condemn them for immorality necessarily, although they may be weak in many ways as reflected in their activities and things they do. We know that. We know who are Laodiceans in many cases by their fruits. He condemns them for being lukewarm. Lukewarm because you're neither hot or cold, but lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth, Jesus Christ says. Let that not be said of any of us, brethren. Let's go all out. 
for the kingdom of God and preparing to be the literal kings and priests, the key leaders that Christ can work with and use powerfully in tomorrow's world. And we need to realize, brethren, that if we do, think about the positive aspect of this. You and I will have the opportunity to teach God's entire way of life and bring absolute peace and joy to billions of people eventually throughout the millennium. Billions of people. And I mean that. Think about the problems all over this earth and the terrible suffering that's going on. We need to recognize that and to realize the opportunity we have to really bring joy to these people and to help them deliver them over and over as we will do once Christ returns to this earth. Turn back to Jeremiah 31, if you would. The book of Jeremiah, as you know, chapter 30, verses 4 to 7, talk about how Israel and Judah are going to be brought into terrible national captivity and they're going to be punished and so on by God because of our sins, because he said your sins have increased. And he says in Jeremiah 30 and verse uh, 23, Behold, the whirlwind of the eternal goes forth with a continuing whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the eternal will not return until he's done it until he's performed the intents of his heart in the latter days, the end of this age, you will consider it. Chapter 31 now of Jeremiah, verse 1. At the same time, in the latter days, as Christ comes back, he says, I will be God of all the families of Israel, not just Judah, not the Jews, but of the people of Holland and uh, the Scandinavian peoples and the Swiss, and the Dutch, the Danes, of course, the people of France, and all the people of the United States and British Commonwealth nations, all the peoples of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the eternal, the people who survived the sword, those people who have gone through this terrible tribulation, found grace in the wilderness. Many were going to repent. They'll remember that they heard Mr. Armstrong. They'll remember they heard perhaps Mr. Ames or me and preaching the truth. And they'll begin to wake up and they'll say, Oh, I wish I would have listened. I wish I would have acted back then. And they'll finally then turn to God and find grace in the wilderness, in the slavery. Israel, when I went to give him rest, when God finally begins to intervene. Verse 7, Thus says the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob. Shout among the chief of the nations and say... Give praise and say, O Lord, save your people. As he begins to act and intervene, people are going to cry out, O save your people, the remnant. Not many left, maybe only one-tenth of Israel. But save the remnant of your people. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, that is, north of Jerusalem, from the nations of Europe where they've gone into slavery. And from the ends of the earth, he says, I'll gather them from the ends of the earth. They will have been sold as slaves to Central and South America and all over the world. Among them, the blind and the lame and the woman with child and the woman who labors with child. Together, a great throng shall return. They shall come with weeping. They're going to say how wrong we've been, how sorry we are, what a horrible mistake we made by turning away from God and being part of this world and not listening to God's truth when they had the opportunity. But you have the opportunity. Take that opportunity. Seize the opportunity, my brethren. Act on the truth. Put yourself right in the middle of the work of the great God and His purpose. They shall come with weeping and with supplications I'll lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they will not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Ephraim was not God's firstborn technically in the sense of a human order of birth, but God has chosen them. They're His firstborn for the birthright. And you and I are going to be the firstborn of God's people too in the sense that we will be in God's kingdom in the first resurrection, the great resurrection, the better resurrection, as it's called back in the book of Hebrews. Christ is the first of the first fruits, but we can be in the first fruits in that first resurrection if we seize that opportunity if our minds can grasp and act on the magnificent opportunity we have. Hear the word of the eternal, O nations, all the nations of this earth, declare it to the isles afar off and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and uh, keep him as a shepherd does his flock. Boy, is he going to watch over his people finally at that day. 
for the eternal has redeemed Jacob. God's going to bring Israel, all Israel back, weeping and repenting from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Therefore, they shall come and sing. Finally, they're going to rejoice as they come back and all the tears are wiped away. Sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the eternal for wheat, wine, the young and the old of the flock. Their souls shall be like a well-watered garden and they shall sorrow no more at all. Why? Because Christ will deliver them. Christ will bless them. And you and I, if we are aligned with Christ and our heart is where Christ is working, we will be there with that living Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, that we've learned to put our hands in His hand now and walk with Him, talk with Him, commune with Him, do His work, let Him rule our lives all day long in every facet of our lives, not have some hidden corner of our life and say, I'm going to hide this from Christ. You don't hide part of your life from God. You don't have hide part of your life from Christ. You want to keep on having this sex affair over here. You want to keep drinking too much liquor over here. You want to keep smoking or taking dope over here. You want to steal your tithes from God over here. You want to water things down over here in some other way. No, don't do that. For your own sake, don't do that. Put your life in God's hands and put your faith and trust in the living Jesus Christ. Then you will be there and you can have the magnificent opportunity to wipe away all tears, to help God, to help Christ do that at that time in tomorrow's world and to help the billions of people that are suffering. Think, think about it even now, brethren. Think about the people there in Lebanon. Their homes are being blown up. You see nightly on the news, their, their buildings crumbling. They don't know from day to day whether they're going to be alive tomorrow. All through the Middle East, people are suffering horribly. Think about the people of Southeast Asia and Afghanistan and Pakistan and many of these other countries in terrible suffering and often living under horrible dictatorships and, and, and this kind of a Muslim uh, way of life where the women are treated absolutely like dogs. Think about it. You women, do you want that or do you want to be in God's kingdom? You say, well, God says the man's to be the head and I don't agree with that. Well, if the man is guided by God, not perfectly, but it is going to work out. His ways do work out, my brethren. He does tell us to teach and train and chasten our children. The modern psychologists say, don't do that. What has it produced? A whole nation in the United States of spoiled brats, people that are used to getting their own way and their drug addiction and their liquor addiction, their pleasure addiction and all the rest of it is producing horrible fruits. And the divorce rate is going up. The number of people with venereal diseases of all kinds, including AIDS, is going up. All this kind of thing because of a wrong way of life. You and I will be able to teach under Christ's direction the right way of life to these people all through the Middle East and Southeast Asia. Think about the people in Africa and the horrible suffering they're going through. My wife and I watch the BBC news often. And there you see the people in the Congo who are suffering. And their local lords or, the, you know, tribal lords are beating up on them, crushing them, killing them, raping and degrading the women. But the thousands. And it showed how 25,000 women at least have been raped in this one area. They know about the women in Darfur, the women in Somalia, the women in these areas all over Africa being put down and degraded and brutalized and many of the men and the children, and they're, they're suffering. They're suffering immeasurably. Whole, whole civilizations are being wiped out by AIDS, as you know, when you read about how AIDS is spreading through Africa. So many people in Central and South America have local dictators, and they're not being blessed either. And all over the world, this thing is getting worse, and Christ is coming. The world is crying out for the kingdom of God, as it describes in Romans 8. The whole civilization, the whole world is crying out, is shuddering, in a sense, as it awaits the return of the King of Kings. And you and I have the chance to help these people, to serve these people, to say this is the way, a whole way of life of marriage, a whole way of life of child rearing, a whole way of life of working hard six days and then resting the seventh day, knowing God is the Creator a whole plan of God through the holy days that helps them realize why they're here, where they're going, how to get there. A whole purpose of God in becoming real sons of God in the resurrection. 
not floating off to heaven with nothing to do, not hearing about a false Christ and a false God and a whole false plan, but the real God, the real Christ, and the real purpose that the great God is working out. We have that opportunity. You're learning that way of life. It's a precious way of life. Soon, we will be teaching it that way to the whole world, an entire way of life. Let's be sure we're learning it now. Let's be sure also we're learning specifically God's laws, God's statutes, God's judgments, how He judges in various situations, and learning to get our minds more on that even in local church situations and personal situations and ask God to guide His government, ask God to guide our local minister, ask God to guide us to submit and to give right advice, of course, and our fervent prayers and backing for the ones God is using, but nevertheless, looking to Christ in His way. Then we're learning God's government. We're not just practicing voting and politics and what your people go along and what your people go along with. That won't work. It never has worked. God's government will work. That's the government we've got to reflect. That's the government we've got to have faith in. Faith in the living Jesus Christ and His way. That is the way that will soon be set up. And that's the way that we in the living church of God are hopefully learning to implement now and build into our lives so we can be there as the key leaders in tomorrow's world. So let's catch the vision, brethren, with all your heart. Catch the vision of the Tomorrow's World program and go all out to prepare to be the real kings and priests ruling over this earth before too much longer. Turn now with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 3. Let's turn back to Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to get a little bit of this tea here before it gets too cold. In Revelation 3, in the first several verses, as you look over it, he's describing the next to the last era of God's church, as most of you know. He talks about the church in Sardis. He says, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. They have the name, the church of God, but they don't really get out on the television and radio and preach all over the world and most people never heard of them. They are dead. They're the church Mr. Armstrong associated with, learned some of the truths from, but they didn't do anything. So he had to leave them and start then what became the Philadelphia era of God's church. Verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, the next to the last era of the church of God, right? And this is talking about the church under Mr. Armstrong, those who are faithful at least, and those of us in this church who are faithful, we're carrying on that same program. We're carrying on that same work. We're carrying on that same way of life. These things, says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. What was the most outstanding thing about David when you think about it? He had his mind on God's government, his mind on God's law. He's used as a type of Christ as the main king that God even has later writers refer back to as the benchmark of the best king, the one who governed Israel the best, and the one who will again be king over all Israel, under Christ, of course, and tomorrow's world, as you read in Ezekiel 37 and a number of other places. David, he is, the key of David has a great deal to do with government. He opens and no one shuts this Christ and shuts and no one opens. And we find when you talk about doors in the New Testament, it's talking about the opportunity to hear the truth. A door was opened to a certain city. They had the chance to teach the truth. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, he tells the Philadelphians. And indeed he did. He opened up the door of radio to Mr. Armstrong, the door of the printing press, and toward the end, uh, television. Now we have all those doors plus the door of the Internet that Mr. Armstrong did not have. And we're trying to use those doors more and more. And no one can shut it. Some say the work is over. The work is not over. Mr. Armstrong said in his last letter, the greatest work of the church will yet be ahead. That's what he said. We've quoted that for you in writing. You know that. That's what he said. The gainsayers are crazy. They don't understand the truth when they say the work is over. We have a tremendous opportunity, brethren, to reach this world, to shake this world, even more than was done before. Not because we're better, but because we learned the basic truth through Mr. Armstrong. We built on that, which we should have done. And now at the very end, no doubt, God will give us power 
to have an impact on the world so that when the final events happen and the final tribulation strikes, they can't say, God, God, why didn't you tell me? He'll say, I did tell you. And he can't say, I did tell you through Mr. Armstrong back in the 1940s and 60s and 70s when most of those people are dead. He could say he also did it through us today in the 1990s and the 2000s where the younger people will have heard and they will have had an opportunity and they will know we have that opportunity to honor Christ and we're not dishonoring Mr. Armstrong by that. We're honoring him. He taught us. He gave us the keys. We're using those keys to go through the open doors and to do the work. So I've set before you a door and no one can shut it and no one has shut it. And our impact is greater and greater every year in this work. And frankly, we're laying a foundation now through the fine team we have at headquarters where I sincerely feel this work is going to explode in power, have a great deal more power in the next three to six years, just before the end. Watch. You'll see us build toward that. And as the big events happen, God will put us on the front page. Maybe not in a happy way. <laughs> we'll have persecution. But we'll be there, and they'll know what we've said. No one can shut it, for you have a little strength. We're so tiny. And boy, that statement is true. You have a little strength. There's nothing great about us. And I don't claim to be a great one. I'm not a great one. I'm a very weak servant of Christ. But I do try to be His servant and serve Him and serve you as best I can in my older age with the strength I have left physically. You have little strength and have kept my word Yes, we have done that and will do that and have not denied my name. We must not deny Christ's name, his authority, and the kind of government that he put in his church, which is part of his name, his authority, his leadership. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews, they say they're true Christians, but are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I've loved you. And in the next several years, whether it's 12 to 20, whatever, there are going to be a lot of people think that who thought they were Christians and were not at all. Because you have kept my command to persevere. Brethren, we have to persevere. Mr. Armstrong is dead. Now, so many of the other great leaders of the work of that time, like Herman Hay and Raymond Cole and so many others, are gone. And only a few of us are left to carry on that work that Christ began through Mr. Armstrong. Mr. Pardin was one of the earlier ministers. Then came along men like Mr. Ames and others and myself to help build that work and do that work at that time, locking arms with Mr. Armstrong, helping him, carrying that work on today in the same way and that government on in the same way. So we've tried to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial. God promises this, brethren. I will keep you... That means you from the hour of trial, which will come over all the world. Not some little thing. It's the great tribulation, obviously, to test those who dwell on the earth. God is testing us even now through these trials and tests and how much more in the great tribulation. Behold, I come quickly at the end of the age. He says that on this church, on this work, I will come quickly. Hold fast that you have. Don't throw it all in the ash can. Yes, Mr. Armstrong would modify on certain things, which he did. But we are not going to ever attack the foundation of the Sabbath, the holy days, and the basic plan and way of God at all. We have not. And we've been going now, as you hear this program, almost, 13, almost 14 years. 14 years we will have been going up this coming January. And we're not going to change and have not changed in nearly 14 years Hold fast that you have, that no one may take your crown. We must hold fast. We must be sure that we are absolutely tenacious and hanging on to the truth and the way of Almighty God. And God will bless us and bless us and bless us if we do that. Don't give up and quit. You will have trials. You will have tests. Yes, but you must not give up and quit. Keep your eye on the big picture what God is doing. These massive world events that show that God is intervening in a specific way as we predicted now for many, many decades. He who overcomes. You're not to be a drifter. 
You're not to be a floater floating around in various groups and just kind of going where it pleases you and trying to seek some little technical point you can get excited about. You're to find where Christ is working and be right square in the middle of that and give your heart to that and go all out for that. Not a floater, not a drifter. He who overcomes, overcome yourself, your vanity and selfishness, overcomes the world and all these temptations of the world and overcomes Satan the devil. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar. You're to be strong not waffly, rifting along the edge, but right in the middle of the church of God, right in the middle of the work of God, right in the middle of the government of God. You're to be a pillar then in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more, this kind of individual. Yes, I had to leave. Some of you had to leave while worldwide was carrying on there before the final changes were made, but so many had been made, it was very clear, very clear where they were headed. By the time the so-called God is booklet came out, they had a false God, a false Christ, a whole false plan, a whole wrong way, and we had to leave. We will not have to leave again. We will be forever in Christ's kingdom, in God's family, in the bosom of Jesus Christ, walking with Christ, talking with Christ, communing with Christ throughout this life. And then when the last trumpet sounds, we can walk right on over with Christ into the resurrection, into the kingdom of God, because we've been walking with Him in our whole way of life. Not perfectly, no. I don't do it perfectly. But we must do it wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, and show God we mean it. And so he says, He will be a pillar in the temple of my God, and He shall go out no more. That's you and me. And I will write on Him the name of my God, Wow, we're going to be called God. He'll write on us a kind of a title showing our responsibility. The name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear. All of you, brethren, let you hear. Let me hear. All who understand, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We do need to understand. We do need to respond. And we do need to respond and get right in the middle of God's church and right in the middle of God's work to do the work of God with zeal. God says the zeal of the eternal shall perform it. He tells us whatever we do, we do with our might. You know that. That's the way God thinks. That's the way God is. That is the mind of Christ. So we must not do the actions of this following church here where he calls them lukewarm. Lukewarm! Nice social club, but not involved with their whole hearts in getting the message to the whole world and learning and practicing the government of God and preparing for the very real government that's about to be set up. Have your whole heart in the work of God and the way of God, and then you can be there with a tremendous opportunity to help and to bless, and to build, and to bring joy, just joy, tears of joy to these people that are really suffering. You could say, this is the way. Walk in it, because you've been teaching that way. You've been living that way. You've been practicing that way in that kind of government, and you can be there to administer that government that way in a very few years. Turn again to Philippians. Turn again, brethren, one last time to Philippians here, chapter 1. Philippians 1, and let's turn again this time to verse 19. Paul writes, For I know that this, these people preaching Christ for whatever reason, will turn out for my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also in Christ, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body. Do you want Christ to be magnified in your body in everything you think and say and do? That's what Paul wanted. God put this here. This is part of the mind of Christ, God's mind in print for you and for me. We should want Christ to be magnified in our body, whether by life or by death. Brethren, we've got to really mean that, to say, God, my life is your life. I have no life. Everything I have, my time, my talents, my money, my resources, my name, everything belongs to you. You're the one that gave it to me, and I'm giving it to you actively as an active living servant, a living slave, a living bondservant of Jesus Christ and an ambassador of Jesus Christ. 
to help prepare the way for his coming government. You must have that attitude, brethren, every one of you all around this earth, those of you way down in Australia, off in New Zealand, the islands of the sea, in Southeast Asia, you brethren there meeting in France with Mr. Apartian, you brethren in Britain, up in Scotland, you brethren across the United States and Canada and all around the world, every one of you needs that attitude. I need that attitude. Let's pray for one another. Let's grow in that attitude. And as we go back home, let's pray fervently that God will help each one of us reflect that attitude more and more again in everything we think and say and do that Christ may be magnified in our bodies, whether by life or by death. For as Paul said, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Our life belongs to God and we will soon literally be in the family, in the kingdom of God, and bear His name forever if we do our part and if we go all out for the kingdom of God and God's purpose in our lives and doing His work and learning and practicing His government and preparing to be those kings and priests He will soon use in tomorrow's world. We've just experienced a wonderful feast. I'm sure God is with us. He will be with us more and more but we need to go back home charged up with the zeal of God and know that our lives are God's lives and we few individuals have that opportunity to prepare to be those key teachers and leaders in tomorrow's world. Let's do that, brethren. Let's go back home with zeal and faith in the living Jesus Christ, our head, our merciful Savior, our living high priest, our coming King. Please pray for me, pray for all of us here, pray for your ministers, pray for one another, and let's rejoice in the tremendous blessings that God is giving us and calling us out of this mixed-up, confused world and is giving us and helping us be prepared for the wonderful tomorrow's world and the government of God and to fulfill the whole purpose for which God has created us, the purpose for which God has called us now, the purpose for which God is blessing us even now as we walk with Him. Thank you, brethren. And we will ask one another's blessing and protection on the way home. May God be with you as you walk with Him.